But the opportunity is what's so seductive, that capacity to see all of your imagination come to life. Like that could be any novel that you've ever read or any movie you've ever watched. You could immerse yourself in that landscape. Hypothetically, that could be if you're a historian. If you want to experience what it was like for Napoleon to retreat from Russia, what the Battle of the Somme was like, you could hypothetically experience that. That's what we're talking about here. It is unending creative capacity. Hey, what's going on? I hope you are well and having a good week as always. Uh, so on this episode of the Welcome to the Metaverse podcast, I chat to John Egan, who is the CEO of Latelier. Now, Latelier are a really interesting company. For the last 40 years, they've been writing and putting out reports about big technological changes and how they impact society and change the world. Uh, so the Metaverse being the latest of those massive trends that is beginning to do the same. So it was brilliant to have John on the show. He is super smart and we chat about where we are on this journey, the future of the metaverse at quite a deep level and where big tech and social media companies all fit into the bigger picture as well. We start with his journey and info about the company and then onto the chat with some great advice about how to get involved with this space if you're not sure towards the end of the episode. Uh, loads of value in this chat, so I know you're going to like this one. Uh, this podcast is also sponsored by the awesome Republic Realm and their Republic Realm Academy is now open for registration. So it's a series of online courses about the metaverse and NFTs taught by educators from some of the most prestigious universities in the world, alongside top industry professionals in Web3 technologies. Uh, so if you want to learn, level up and be part of the workforce of the future and actually have fun whilst you do it too, uh, this is definitely for you. Uh, you'll get access to the alumni network and career listings as well. I also have an exclusive 15% discount uh, as a listener to this podcast. So just use the code MetaverseLuke when you pay online. Uh, you can head to republicrealm.com where you'll see the education tab and the academy notes in there. I'll leave a direct link and all the info in the show notes. And as always, nothing in this episode is financial or investment advice. Always do your own research. And with that said, let's get into this week's episode. John, great to have you on the show. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, Luke. Great to be here with you. Good stuff. Yeah, so uh, we're going to focus uh, this conversation around big tech and social media giants entering the metaverse and the sort of possible ways that this plays out in the future, which is a really important and interesting area. So definitely looking forward to getting stuck into this chat. It's going to be a good one for sure. Um, before we sort of fully dive in, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your story so far? I know you're so deeply involved in this space uh, and your company, uh, Latelier, as well. You've been kind of writing and putting out these amazing reports, which which I definitely recommend people check out. It's a good insight into the future. So maybe you could just, uh, yeah, give us a, a little introduction of uh, what you're working on at the moment. Yeah, sure. Um, so my background is is primarily as, as an economist um, and I've been working in finance for most of my career, which seems like it's a, might be a peculiar adjacency for this. Um, but over, I'd worked as a VC in London and about three and a half years ago, I moved to Paris to run the subsidiary of BNP Paribas Group called L'Atelier. Natalia is always focused on the future, emerging technologies, etc. And our role within that and how we changed the business was to begin to build data engines capable of doing high fidelity quantitative foresight. So we're able to predict with reasonable um, with reasonable comfort, confidence, fidelity, what uh, likely future environments are going to look like and the markets and the jobs and the assets that are going to exist within those environments, both when it comes to technology and social change as well. So we look at all these signals, we discover what new markets are going to be. And a couple of years ago, three years ago, we began to really focus on NFTs in particular um, and how they became some of the economic infrastructure for the metaverse and what was likely going to happen as a result of that. 
I would be disingenuous if I was to say that we predicted what was going to happen with NFTs. But I think we were very confident that the concept of NFTs and providing digital ownership, the digital assets and the unique creation of digital assets was going to be fundamental to the construction of effective metaverse environments moving forward. So we had begun to do a lot of public good content, which people can access through our website on the metaverse, on various forms of the metaverse, on the infrastructure of the likely metaverse, and what technologies were going to play a key role in its emergence. Awesome. Yeah, that is invaluable stuff, especially when you're thinking kind of from a zoomed out picture about where this is all going. Everyone's trying to kind of work it out. And uh, you and your team are really putting that down on paper in a, in a way that's uh, yeah easy to read and understand. And um, yeah, definitely recommend people check that out. Um, you said you uh, yeah maybe didn't predict exactly what would happen as I wouldn't expect anyone to do over the last 12 months. But has it surprised you the pace of it? And do you think we're going to continue to kind of accelerate and build this whole metaverse and NFT space at the same pace? Or are we due a cool off at some point? Point, what, what do you think? Yeah, it shocked me. I, I think um, you know, the evidence of that is the fact that I still have a job and I, <laughs> I'm, I'm not living in the Caribbean somewhere with my feet up. So it absolutely shocked me. I did not see it happening as quickly as it happened and necessarily in the way that it happened either. I think infrastructurally, we've still got a long, long way to go before the metaverse arrives. We're at the doorstep, in my view, at the moment. And I didn't realize there was going to be as much value in the assets that exist at the doorstep to the metaverse as there as there is. So the prices certainly have shocked me. I think a lot of it makes sense and we can go into why in retrospect, a lot of it makes sense now, but um, I didn't see it happening this fast. I really expected a five to 10 year time horizon for this. I also expected significantly more sophistication in the asset class before we began to see these sorts of valuations, because I think, I think it's fair to say NFTs in their current form, generally speaking, are still very rudimentary. There's a long, long way to go in terms of what the capacity of NFTs and how the protocols will evolve over time. What we're likely to see in five years' time, I think, compared to now, is our universes apart. As to moving forward, I think I'm as ignorant about the next step as I was about the first step. My gut feeling is that there is a big shift about to occur. Um, the reason I say that is because in the in the real economy, traditional economy, we're seeing significant inflation numbers. We're seeing interest rate hikes um, globally. Uh, we're seeing a little bit more kind of frothiness. And I do think there's still a very high correlation between virtual markets and real world markets, which shouldn't be the case you know, philosophically and theoretically, but it is. And I, I think we're going to see consequences of that. And even like within the crypto space generally, We've seen three significant crashes now since August, uh, where where a lot of value was, was wiped out. And that is certainly concerning. And I know you can get used to it when you're embedded in this space. It just seems kind of normal, but it's not normal. And it wasn't normal before the last year. And it's not normal now that that much value is being wiped out of a more mature market. It's one thing for that to happen when there's only 600 different tokens or 500 different tokens available. And, you know, and, and the price of Bitcoin is, is, is sub six, seven thousand. It's a very different thing when it's closer to 60,000 than it is 6,000. And we're seeing that much volatility. So I feel like something is afoot is happening. Um, it doesn't feel necessarily positive to me. Um, it, it feels like an awful lot of the conversation at the moment is more antagonistic from the, uh, the, the people who exist outside the space as well. Um, and we're obviously seeing a raft of new regulation being introduced globally for, for crypto. I don't know what that will mean. 
um, ultimately. Um, I, I think there's some systemic threats there. I think certainly with stable coins, um, hopefully we get some more clarity uh, infrastructurally on, on, on where stable coins are going to exist within the, the medium term future of this broader space over the next six months. But um, I, I would be loath to make any specific predictions, but I certainly would feel slightly concerned at the moment, I think. Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think we've we've seen, like you say, some of these really volatile, crazy moments generally across crypto recently. And um, yeah, it's, it, I, I'm torn between humans always being humans and getting greedy and really, uh, you know, like uh, feeding off their own hype in, the, in this space. And then also this kind of rapidly progressing move to a digital future. But, you know, we're not quite there yet. But also that humans quite bad at predicting kind of exponential growth as well. So, I've, yeah, I've, not, I've no idea which isn't particularly uh, a helpful comment, but I think everyone's probably thinking the same thing. Um, well, I would, I, w- I would say, Luke, that every time, every time I felt like this, I've been wrong. So every time I felt a little bit pessimistic, it's ended up going the, the other way. So, um, you know, maybe that's an indicator for people. When I, I, my, I'm habitually used to fundamental analysis and all of that is somewhat kind of irrelevant when you look at, at digital assets. So um, my, my pessimism right now could well turn out to be uh, the, the kind of opposite of what actually happens. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the sensible thing was when, you know, even the Beeple $69 million sale happened, whatever that was six, nine months ago, that felt like the top then and, and definitely wasn't the top. So it's, uh, yeah, who, who knows, but uh, interesting times anyway. And I know um, before the call we chatted about it, you have like a sort of framework to kind of view uh, all of this stuff and, and just the space generally at the minute. So um, yeah, maybe, maybe it'd be interesting to, to chat through that and just how you're viewing this all from a kind of uh, zoomed out perspective. Yeah, sure. So I have these five provocations for the metaverse that I've been thinking about quite a lot. And it covers a range of different things. The first one is the macroeconomic drivers. Why is this happening? So of, of course, you know, this is happened faster, I think, than any of us would have expected. Um, and there are a number of reasons why that is the case. One is the technology is ready. That's it's an obvious one that we're at a point now where there's a level of technological feasibility. The second one is there's a lot of crypto wealth there that's able to finance the idea of an open metaverse. And that didn't exist prior. So that's, that's clearly another reason. But for me, a really major reason, this is my first provocation, is that the degradation of social mobility in the real world is actually incentivizing and moving an awful lot of people to emerging digital marketplaces. So the way that traditional economies are failing people is is pushing people towards this new space, this idea of the metaverse, because there's something very seductive about hope and about opportunity. And for a lot of people, hope and opportunity no longer exists in the real world. The idea of somebody being able to afford a house, for a lot of people, that is not a reality anymore. The idea that their kids will be better off than they are, for a lot of people, not a reality anymore. The idea that they will have a secure financial future in retirement, not a reality anymore. So when the traditional economy fails to live up to the promise, the social contract of of ensuring that if you abide by the idea of get educated, work hard, obey the laws of the land, and you will prosper, when that is no longer the case, when an average person working an average job for an average wage can no longer afford an average home close to where they work, then we begin to see problems and issues. And in, in large part, I think a lot of this is a protest movement. So a lot of the switch, the sway towards crypto and now NFTs, a lot of it is about activism. It's people saying the traditional economy has failed us. And now we're moving towards this new opportunity where, yeah, we know it's risky. We know it might not work out, but it's the only place where hope exists because we know that if we stay solely based in the real world, like property prices are going up more every month than people can possibly save. 
So what's the chance people have? The, the second one, the second provocation is this idea of the metaverse versus metaverses. And anybody who's experienced in this space, anybody who's attended a conference or listened to a podcast will hear people move between these two expressions almost interchangeably, the metaverse versus metaverses. And they're very different things. And I, I'm not necessarily saying one is right or one is wrong, but I think we need to be clear that they mean something very different. And I often hear people using the term metaverses, plural, when they're talking about blockchain-based gaming. And I struggle with that a little bit because it's just a game within a platform. Like that's all it is. What's the difference between somebody playing COD 4 online when it came out and, and doing this? Just because there might be some yield dynamics to it doesn't mean it's the metaverse. And I think anybody who's kind of like a metaverse purist, like a metaversian, sees the metaverse as much, much more than that. And we'll get into that in a minute. But for me, I, I tend to rely on the term the metaverse. And within the metaverse, you might have many meta worlds, including gaming platforms, etc. But they exist within this broader landscape of connected meta worlds. The third one is when we talk about the metaverse, prototypically, we talk about the idea of the metaverse being virtual, being this immersive, interoperable virtual space within which we all have the capacity to create a world of our own design, where there is endless or boundless creativity, um, where opportunities are without constraints. And that is the way we kind of think about it. But for me, I suspect that the most realistic, effective first version of the metaverse, to be clear, I don't think we have arrived there yet. Like I said, I think we're at the doorstep of the metaverse. I think the, the first real interpretation of it is going to be digi-physical rather than purely virtual. It's going to be layers of mixed reality that are settled across the infrastructure, the physical infrastructure that we exist within. I think that's going to have really, really interesting consequences for urban environments in particular. As cities, one really curious thing that's happening in the world is that as remote working becomes more common in the developed world, what we're beginning to see is people be more like, will pick and choose where they want to live. So for the first time, they might not live in the place in the city that they work. But historically, cities have not actually competed for residents to live in their cities. They've competed for corporations to reside in their cities because corporations bring jobs and jobs bring citizens. And now for the first time, cities need to compete for residents. It's a very different pitch. And I think technology is going to be a major part of that pitch to people. And a large part of that technology pitch is going to be the metaverse infrastructure that you can provide. And I think that digi-physical metaverse infrastructure that we consume through lensware or glassware is going to be the realistic, the first immersive interpretation of the metaverse that we see. And within that comes my fourth provocation. So how do we know that the metaverse has actually arrived? So for me, the analogy that I've always used is pets. Pets will be no will let us know when the metaverse has arrived. Um, virtual pets, semi-intelligent virtual pets that can interact with us, the physical landscape around us, other semi-intelligent virtual agents, and other people. Because we know this has appeal. From Tamagotchis to Pokemon Go, we know that people love doing a couple of things. We know there's a, a historic and very human relationship with pets. We also know, anybody who's ever played a game knows, how much affection and affinity we can develop for, for creatures or characters that we create and the bond, the, the, the parasocial bond that we can have with them. So we understand a lot of the fundamentals already exist. But the big thing about semi-intelligent virtual agents in the form of pets is that once they're created, it opens the door to a whole range of opportunities within which exist massive commercial opportunities. So if I have an NFT pet that is part griffin, part walrus, part unicorn, 
that I've designed myself. It's an NFT I can I can sell, but it could also have breeding characteristics, etc. as well. Like think about an evolved version of Zedron. And then those same parameters could be used within a battle arena game where people create creatures that battle against each other that have a and you know a significant esports platform with network capacity built on the back of it with um you know lots of sports betting um, and then those creatures have breeding characteristics that allow them to create stud value so now you've got an annuity based out of the lineage of different creatures based on their success etc so and that all across kind of vice and sports spaces that becomes a huge opportunity. More, more banal example will be people who want to create like tour guides for cities, for instance. You can lease out your NFT virtual tour guide agent for people who are coming to the city who want a, a gastronomy experience or want a kind of a secret city experience or whatever it happens to be. So once we see those meta pets emerge, that's the real indication that we've arrived at the point of critical capacity to really break through into an expanded metaverse. And the last provocation I have is that I foresee this big rift developing between the crypto maxis and the NFT maxis. And I need to caveat that first because people will respond negatively to this. There's clearly an, an enormous overlap between those two, okay? So if we ignore that overlap and we look at the two ends of the spectrum, on one end of the spectrum, you have like digital libertarians who are who are um, fundamentally pro individualism, individual freedoms, um, you know, small government or no government, massive decentralization. Oftentimes, to people who have a bug out bag ready to go, they're ready to jump in the rubber dinghy and you know and 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 make sail for for Mexico at the drop of a hat when this fear that the feds are going to burst into the doors. So there's a, there's a cluster of people philosophically within the crypto space who believe very strongly in those ideals. But for the other side of it, the, the NFT maxis, the metaversians, they are all about the metaverse. They want to be able to quickly access their their wealth, their NFT assets and e easily use it. As opposed to the crypto maxis who've got everything on a cold wallet, and, and want to keep the wealth separate and inaccessible to the internet to secure it, the NFT maxis want to be able to have it on hand all of the time, to use it whenever they want, because they want to live more and more within the metaverse. And philosophically, those two things conflict with each other. And I think that's going to be a really interesting division that happens over the next three years as the metaverse and the influencers of the metaverse and the philosophy of the metaverse becomes more pronounced, bearing in mind Bitcoin has had 10 years, crypto maxis have had 10 years effectively to do this. As the NFT and metaverse maxis begin to catch up, I think we're going to see some major differences in perspective. And in a lot of ways, the metaverse is far more accessible conceptually and philosophically to the masses than that crypto digital libertarian digital objectivism philosophy is. So there are my like my five provocations for people. They're meant to be provocative. You know, not everyone's going to agree with them, but but for me, it helps contextualize a lot of what's happening within the metaverse right now. Yeah, fascinating for sure. Thank you for that. I was uh, yeah, I didn't interrupt because I was uh, just listening and, and taking it in. And yeah, there's some really amazing thoughts there 
especially with the kind of uh, yeah Bitcoin maxis and and NFT world, I think 100. It's been interesting to watch if anyone's been involved, you know, from quite early days. The accessibility of getting into you know finance and understanding really the you know limited supply of Bitcoin and what that means as hard money and all these things isn't a very sexy topic for a lot of people. But it's been amazing to see how fast the kind of NFT space has grown because it's art and it's visual and people can understand the the metaverse in that way. Um, and I think gaming is probably going to really bring a load of people in in that way as as well. And and uh, yeah, I mean, those things will will obviously coincide, but it's uh, yeah, it's just interesting to see it overlap, and it's it's almost like a huge reset of really building everything again from scratch because the most basic thing is the money, right? The, yeah. And Bitcoin has changed that. It's this. It feels like the full transition to digital, and it will take time, and it will have to be built, and there's a lot of work to do. But I've heard people talk about the you know the GDP, the output of it, of the metaverse, the yeah. whole new digital economy, digital jobs, digital workforce, all of that stuff is, is probably really being underestimated because, like you say, there will be tour guides in these worlds, and there will be uh, you know jobs, and people will go to work in the metaverse. So it, yeah, it's 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 uh, all fascinating, but I think, uh, yeah, really nice way of framing it. And an interesting uh, way to link on to, to another conversation, which is really relevant because we are at this building point where there's uh, this sort of amazing future looming, but also we've got to get there. So it's worth talking about kind of big tech and social media. And this year has been um, a huge year for big major brands and corporations kind of waking up to this. Obviously, most notably Facebook becoming meta and really, you know, planting their skin in the game and their, and their future that, that this is it. And I think that gave it a lot of credibility and also just blew into the mainstream, obviously. A lot of people, me included, are quite unsure of, of what their role is going to be. I, I feel like it's inevitable they're going to have a big role and they're obviously really good at onboarding people and making it simple for people to come on board. How do you see it all? What do you think their role is and what are you thinking about when, you know, these big companies are now making moves? Oh, it's, it's a tough question to answer because we've got to be... I've got, you've got to be judicious with my response, you know, and I, I think I keep getting asked this question as well because people know if they ask it two or three times, I'll eventually cave and, and, and give my, my real thoughts. Um, I, I think a couple of things. I think one, it's extremely difficult for, you know, a founder-led business to have two great ideas in the same business. I think that's very, very rare. So, when you've got a founder-led business like Facebook, you know, social media being there early on and the way that business was driven. And I think regardless of people, what the people think about Zuckerberg, he's quite clearly a, a genuinely brilliant business person. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, and I, I, I'm just drawing a line there. I think you, you ignore everything else about him. What he's been able to achieve as a very young founder, entrepreneur, CEO is, is really historically remarkable. Um, having said that, there are very few examples ever. Uh, especially as a company has, has become large like Facebook, of them being able to create another brilliant idea or concept on the back of that. It just, it doesn't really happen. And there's lots of reasons for that. The second thing is, it's also very difficult, you know, once you're in your 40s, having gone through that, like it's like mathematicians, a lot of mathematicians kind of reached a creative peak in their in their 20s. By the time they're in their 40s, they're probably not coming up with a lot of more great ideas, the sort of the elegance, the nuance, nuance, the insight necessarily that is going to change the the world comprehensively. And I think that there's something to be said about that as well. For somebody who's been in the business for as long as he's been, the likelihood that he has the capacity to drive through another great idea, I think is, I am skeptical. And I think there's evidence to support that skepticism as well in that we have not yet heard 
a vision for Facebook's metaverse at all. Nothing even close to it. What we have seen are these really ham-fisted visuals that are regurgitations of you know what we thought VR was going to look like 15 years ago and stuff. And it's 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 really uh, cringeworthy. Uh, I think like it's. I really physically struggle to look at a lot of it. I just cringe so physically when I see it. Um, and then another part of it, I think, is that it seems what Facebook is presenting, it does seem like their metaverse is primarily constructed around the world of work, or certainly it's a major component of it. And I, I really think that misses the point. Um, so everything I've seen so far makes me think that the people behind the metaverse initiative within Facebook don't really get it. And here's what I mean by that. So even if this is the first time you listen to this podcast and you're, you're thinking to yourself, what is all this metaverse stuff? I, I don't understand it. Is it too technical? How can I access it? Whatever, whatever. So I'm going to listen to this podcast and see what I can learn and see if I can access it. Here's the thing. Most of us innately understand what this is. Anybody who's ever read, if you've ever fallen asleep reading a novel, fallen asleep in a different world, where the rules are different, you've ever watched a movie that got inside your brain and made you imagine what the world would be like if you existed in that place, you've already understood the metaverse. The metaverse is ours to create. That's the idea. It is, it is unending, inevitable capacity to construct and create a world of our own design. That's the promise. That's what the metaverse is. The metaverse is not something that is necessarily delivered to us fully formed, but the opportunity it's what's so seductive, that capacity to see all of your imagination come to life. Like that could be any novel that you've ever read or any movie you've ever watched. You could immerse yourself in that landscape. Hypothetically, that could be if you're a historian. If you want to experience what it was like for Napoleon to retreat from Russia, what the Battle of the Somme was like, you could hypothetically experience that. That's what we're talking about here. It is unending creative capacity. And that's what's so seductive. And that's what I mean by anybody who's ever watched a play who's read a novel, who's heard a story, who's watched a movie and got lost in that moment, you understand what the metaverse is. It's bringing that moment to life, that sentiment to life. And there's nothing that I've seen from Facebook that makes me think that they get that, that they understand that that's what is so energizing about this concept. It's why we're all so drawn from, from William Gibson to Stevenson to Klein, and on, even though a lot of those were dystopian interpretations of the metaverse, that opportunity for some form of utopia is what draws us in. Nothing I've seen from Facebook suggests to me that they're either philosophically aligned with that, intended on that, or believe in that as a, as a, as a benefit. So I think for a lot of reasons, um, we can assume that uh, Facebook are likely going to struggle with this. There's other functional things like their ability to moderate that landscape. And then there's quite clearly some real significant agency problems. Like is the intention to use Libra within, within Meta, within the metaverse? If that is the case, I think there's real, there's functional concerns about that. I think hypothetically, a situation where if you have a social media platform, i.e., uh, effectively a news network that exists in everyone's pocket and has access to everybody without any real regulations on what news can be distributed. And you're targeting your currency, which is ostensibly a stable coin supported by you know, traditional market investments that you've sold to large corporate and financial partners. If you're selling that on to citizens of an economy that is unstable, 
because let's be clear, that's where this is attractive. Libra is not attractive, generally speaking, to people who live in stable economies. It's attractive to people who live in unstable economies. So what you're doing there is two things. One is you're creating a system where the yield, so you've got retail investors, the users, who are paying for a currency that is then being used to buy traditional assets that produce a yield. And that yield is taken by Facebook's corporate investors. It's not doesn't go back to the people who have actually paid for the investments, the retail users, right? So that's problematic in the first place. The second problem is that instability in those countries is now attractive. The more unstable those countries are, the more valuable Libra becomes. So now you've got an agency problem where any social media company, doesn't have to be Facebook, is now incentivized to create instability in a country to increase the value of their, or increase the, the utility of their own currency so that you end up increasing the yield achieved through the traditional investments it makes. And I think that's really concerning as well, but I think it's also pretty see-through. So I think there's a whole lot of reasons from moderation through to the economics through to a lack of vision um, to think that Facebook's role in this is going to be quite limited. And it probably brings us on to the open versus closed conversation, but I, I don't see Facebook being a threat to the ideology that most of us hold about the metaverse. Very interesting. Yeah. And for anyone who might be quite new, Libra was their attempt at a kind of global Facebook currency coin for their kind of next move to really make an impact in the in the whole of this space. But it, it sort of fell apart. And yeah, you make some really interesting points because in some ways, when, when Facebook announced that, I thought, ah, that is the smartest thing they, they could do. They've really pot committed to going into the metaverse and creating their world. But like, as I've had more conversations about the future of the metaverse, what always seems to win and what we've seen on the internet is open source things. I mean, even like Wikipedia, as an example, has become obviously the encyclopedia of, of you know, sort of all knowledge on the internet. And why? It's because loads of hobbyists have all come together and can all come together open on the internet and kind of contribute to it. And yeah, Facebook are in a weird position because they are trying to sort of create this future of the metaverse, but by default, being a company need to make money. So therefore restrict themselves and can't do all the fun stuff that everyone can else, else can do on an, on an like open system, right? Which is, is this kind of conversation about, you know, does the metaverse look like a load of companies where you go to all their different places and use their stuff and you don't get any value yourself? Kind of how the internet is now. Like if you, you know, post on Instagram or YouTube, um, you get the views and you get the likes, which you're not really getting anything for your value unless you can get enough that you can pay a brand to be on your page. Is that the future or really the future that will probably win, needs to win, but also probably will by default is this one where, you know, we use these current systems, Ethereum, where it's, it's open and we can all own NFT assets and take them between worlds. So yeah, maybe you could just chat a little bit about that kind of open versus closed future of this metaverse. It's quite deep level stuff, but yeah, this is this is interesting and is a big conversation in the space at the minute. Yeah, sure. It's, it's- certainly one of the major conceptual or ideological battles at the moment, open versus closed. And I think because of the amount of crypto wealth that's been developed in recent years, the vast majority of the momentum right now is with with the open metaverse philosophers. Um, that's where we're thinking. Now, there is my, my view is that it's probably unlikely to be wholly one or the other. I think it's going to be a blend. Uh, and it goes back to that crypto maxis versus NFT maxis thing. A lot of people who are real metaverse advocates they don't really care as much. They're, they're not necessarily decentralized, decentralization radicals. As long as it works and it's effective, 
and it's trustworthy, etc. That's okay. They don't have the innate distrust in corporations and governments, etc. That crypto maxis necessarily have. And as a consequence of that, we're probably going to see lots of hybrid models emerge where it makes a lot more sense, for instance, to have, you know, you can have, it could be lower effort, lower energy, you can expedite processes, etc. If you have some centralized aspect of it, you can create a lot of transparency within it, but it's likely to, to still exist. Um, and I think that's probably the way we're traveling. And there's reasons for that. You know, one thing you'll see almost every day, you'll see people talk about interoperability. I can't think of a more complex problem for the metaverse, interoperability. Like the why and the how of it is very difficult to answer. Why would you create as an initiative something that was interoperable? It's a huge amount of work. You've now got to make it interoperable other people's platforms that they're building. So why are you going to put in all that extra work? Where's the incentive to do it? And the other part of it is how do you do it? Really complex thing to do. Now, if, if it's like a, a publisher, if it's Rockstar or it's Ubisoft or Activision or somebody, they can create something which is interoperable across all of their platforms. So I know they have all had bad experiences with NFTs so far, but let's kind of forget about what they've done so far. And let's just imagine a future where they create genuine NFTs that can be sold outside of platform that are produced by third parties that you can interact with across. So you can go from Red Dead to Grand Theft Auto and you can use a lot of the same, you know, whether it's skins or weapons or whatever else it is. It's a more open world environments. That kind of makes some sense, although still conceptually really complex uh, to do. And the other, just on that point as well, you know, I... Red Dead Redemption 2, I think, is probably my favorite game ever. I think it's a masterpiece, and I also think it's a technological wonder what they accomplished with it. But it took them seven years to create it. Seven years, it's an open-world environment game, but it can only it's only capable of hosting a couple of people at one time, and that open world is still not enormous. It's big in gaming terms, but you can still go from border to border kind of, you know, within 20, 30 minutes sort of thing. So it's not large enough to be considered, you know, a future evolving open world, but it took, it took one of the best game publishers in the world seven years to create that. So is it realistic that in the next seven years, we can create open world environments that can exceed that within an open platform is, is a question that I have. So all of these, again, provocations, but it's, it's some of the reasons why we're likely to see hybrid approaches being taken. I think next year we're going to see a lot of DAOs um, being created and they'll be very well funded. And those DAOs will have a big year of marketing and hype and it will get a lot of attention and draw more capital to it. The following year, it'll begin to run into problems and we'll begin to see more of these DAOs begin to you know, look for centralized solutions with certain aspects of what they're building. So my view is that this is going to be hybrid rather than one or the other. Um, it just at the moment, we have so much momentum because there's so much capital uh, behind open metaverse concepts. But NFTs are not the metaverse. It's really important for people to understand that. NFTs right now have nothing to do with the metaverse, broadly speaking. NFTs, though, are important for the metaverse because the protocols and the evolving protocols will be important within the metaverse. And that's a very different thing. So, you know, I suppose to, to answer your question, I think that I expect it to be some sort of hybrid model. I don't expect it to be fundamentally one or the other because I don't necessarily see that as being feasible at this point. Although we'll likely see more companies like Facebook try to create a closed metaverse. At some point, they'll need to connect to everybody else. 
Yeah, I, th- I think you're pro- probably exactly right there. That it's that seems to be the way that it will go because yeah, it's not going to accelerate in just one direction and leave the others behind. Everyone wants a sort of piece of this, and yeah, we'll see what the where the attention goes, and that and that will decide it ultimately, I guess, where people go and where they want to get value and want to experience stuff. Um, I wanted to ask as well, just a, a bit more um about I, I guess specifically the NFT space for the next question. But how do you look at um what do you, what have you made recently of brands coming in like uh, how Adidas have entered you know this world in a really authentic way by buying an and buying land in the sandbox versus Nike recently acquiring Artifact, which has, has been a big story, but they're, they're quite two different approaches. And when we think about just sort of companies and brands in this space and, and how they want to do it, what, what did you kind of make of the distinction? Because one is kind of playing to the more open style of, of Metaverse and Nike went, no, we're just going to, we're going to buy up a, a, one of the most successful companies so far. So I, I just was just interested on your thoughts on that as well. I suppose it's it's really interesting to see right, they're following customers. So you've got these big brands who are saying, well, our customers reside here, so we need to be relevant here because it goes to our relationship, our connection with our customers. And we have seen a lot of big brands. I mean, Visa as well um, got involved, Pepsi, and then like NBA, obviously. And uh, we're seeing more and more sports teams as well get involved. And in, in part, they're following the money. It makes sense. Um, I don't know necessarily if they're totally philosophically aligned or on board from what I've seen. Like they're still struggling with it. They're still big companies are typically run by an older exec group who wouldn't necessarily be fluent or, or native in this space. And crucially, the people who are implementing a lot of this across big businesses aren't necessarily suffering the same sort of financial and socioeconomic hardships as a lot of the people who are so ardently uh, affectionate or proposing the, the metaverse in the first place. So um, I think that is, there's a big gap there. So I think part of it is this movement towards this space because there's a lot of attention there. A lot of their users are there. They want to be seen as relevant. And maybe critically, they want to experiment for the sake of learning. You know, it's not a, these are multi-billion dollar businesses. It's not a huge deal for them to, to buy a board ape or, you know, to buy a crypto kitty or um, to begin to experiment with investing in or buying some businesses within the space. I don't think there's as much in this as people think there is. Yes, it's a, it's a validation. It's a signal that there's corporate interest. But I haven't, I'm yet to see corporations redesigning their strategy in order to become, you know, metaverse native or anything. I think that we're still very much at the experimentation phase, which, you know, the way to think about this is they have a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to explore new markets. If this becomes a really significant new market and they haven't done anything in it, then they'll be held accountable. The execs will be fired. So sometimes it's really important to show that you've dipped your toe in the water in these new spaces. Uh, and I think that that's the way we should be perceiving at the moment, a positive thing, certainly. It's acknowledgement. It's a statement of fidelity. But it's it's not necessarily a statement of advocacy yet. Yeah, and it's interesting how those massive companies have to move, isn't it? Because they, they do have these responsibilities to shareholders and also they're just big and they have stuff to lose as well if they get it wrong. So it's like, yeah. um, it, I always think about from my history, in, you know, watching um, in TV and, and media, I saw loads of YouTubers blow up kids in their bedroom because yeah. they had nothing to lose and they didn't have to answer to anyone and so they could make content and then they got massive and, and, and they could even film in you know if you're a TV production company or whatever you have to get signed permission to film in a location whereas your kids in their bedrooms don't have to do anything so exactly. it's that sort of thing isn't it from the ground up is accelerating and yeah other big brands authenticity matters mm. and like the other thing to remember is like PR is really expensive it's very expensive to get people to cover you it's even more expensive to get people to notice you after you've got people covering you so 
Yeah, there's a lot of companies going to look at something like this and say, if we drop 5 million or less on some NFT, then how much global coverage are we going to get for this? People are going to write about us, not just the story, but they're going to continue to reference us. Like here we are months after the fact on a podcast, and we're still talking about these businesses doing this. Mm. It's, it's like, you know, and this seems really cynical, but it's really effective marketing. And I think there's certainly marketeers in these companies who would have been making a case for this that's that's not necessarily a new business case, but would have been saying this is going to get us millions and millions of almost evergreen press. It's going to be really effective for us. And as long as you're not a highly regulated business, that's you know that's a pretty positive thing. So uh, I think that's probably probably plays a part as well. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like they know what they're doing. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Um, I know we're we're almost running out of time, so I just had a couple uh, final questions. But um, one thing that people ask me a lot as well, or I'm finding when I chat to people, is people really want to get involved. They want they they kind of understand on some level this opportunity, but also they don't know what to do about it right now, other than uh, you know whether it's NFTs or digital lands that is accelerating kind of out of reach. So do you have any like really practical things that you think people can do who are interested in this space? Maybe they want to move into this area uh, from a different career and stuff. Uh, what what are the big opportunities? And what can people begin to do to just sort of stake their claim and get involved with this movement? Interesting question. Okay, so there's probably two levels to look at this. I think if, if you want to work in this space, there is tons of opportunity. There are loads of firms who are really struggling to find hires in this space at the moment because a lot of the people who could make effective analysts, uh, they're already worth 10, 15, 20 million. So they don't want analyst jobs anymore. So if you're coming late to the game and you have those sort of skills, there's a lot of great companies who are who are looking for those sort of positions that will give you a leg up in a rapidly moving space. So if you can begin to become competent in, in analysis or even if you can build technology capable of analysis in this space, I think there's so much opportunity for you. At the moment, there's a huge demand for it. Everybody's looking for those people and they're very, very hard to find. I get emails every week looking for people who could be analysts. Um, in the NFT space and there's never enough of them. So that's one pathway. I think if you want to work in the space, there's a ton of opportunity. If you want to invest in the space, it's much more difficult. So first of all, I, I, I am I'm not giving advice to anybody on what they should invest in, mm -hmm. but I would say that at the moment, if you're a beginner investor, it's very difficult to make money in this space, despite what people read. Most of the things that you can actually access and buy are trash. And if you were, if somebody proposed a physical equivalent to a, you know, say, let's say there's a piece of art that's, that's like worth half an ETH and somebody's saying, I'll sell you this physical piece of art for $2,000, you're probably going to say no most of the time. So, um, I, I think that there is a significant gap there. So the key thing is just buy things you like. You know, it's always the case, unless you're a professional investor, unless you can bring enormous resources in the form of capital, people or technology to your investment strategy within this space, then just buy things that you like. Don't overextend yourself. It is still super risky. But if you see something that you love, that's where you should go for it. Buy things that you would be totally happy still owning in 20, 30 years. And if you buy something that you feel like you'll still be happy, happy owning in 20, 30 years, you've won, you know, that then you're, you're content. And if you don't sell it, you don't sell it. But if I, I also find that for the people who buy the things that they really authentically like, they're the ones that also tend to see the better returns over time. They'll, you know, if it's, if it's artists work, for instance, they often develop relationships with those artists and they get a lot from it. And there's a community structure around it as well. So I would suggest that 
if you're looking at moving into the space to invest, don't convince yourself that you're going to be a millionaire next week. Buy things that you fall in love with. Don't overextend yourself and be comfortable still owning anything that you buy in 20 or 30 years and, and get involved in the community side of it, which is the really critical place that you learn about it. You're never going to make money in this space if you're not an active participant on the community side. Yeah, that's very true. And I think there's sort of, um, it starts to align when you spend enough time in the space, because it becomes obvious what other things that, you know, are really interesting and offering something different and might be valuable in the future. It kind of, they show themselves to you after you spend an, enough time in the space yeah. around everyone else and stuff. So uh, yeah, amazing. All right. Well, thank you so much for that. It was a really, really amazing chat and lots to think about. I just want to want to go, uh, go and listen back again to as well and have a more of a think about it because it, uh, it was great. So thank you so much. And where can we send people to follow uh, yourself and uh, read some of those reports and stuff that Letelier are putting out so you can you can find all of our work at atelier.net all of our, our public facing work at atelier.net you can find me at uh, I am John Egan on Twitter or connect to me on LinkedIn I'm always open for a chat so um, look forward to hearing people from people and, and thanks a lot Luke it was a pleasure really appreciate it of course thanks so much for coming on John cheers so there we go a brilliant chat with John Egan from Letelier a philosophical chat in parts which I really enjoyed it's good to think about this space uh, both from the technology side but just how it's going to sort of impact um, us as humans and the world generally it's uh, an exciting and interesting time for sure so thank you John for coming on and doing that uh, thank you to Republic Realm for sponsoring the show as well at the Republic Realm Academy uh, registration is now open um, so you can check it out at republicrealm.com and metaverse luke uh, will get you 15 percent off enrollment all the details are at republicrealm.com i'll pop uh, everything in the show notes thank you so much uh, for listening uh, this year as well it's been an amazing year uh, on this journey together and lots more to come in the new year too so have a brilliant holiday and i will catch you for the next episode 